let's pray. Father, God, I just, um, I'm speechless. God, I don't always know what to say to you. And God, most of the time, I'm, it's hard to pray because my mind is filled with anxiety and God, they're just filled with dark thoughts. God, it's hard to get over them. It's hard to say how I really feel to you. Lord, I just pray right now that you would empty my mind of everything that has nothing to do with your word and things that are weighing me down and holding me back from running the race that you've set me on. I pray that you would just get rid of those Lord, I pray that tonight would not be just another Wednesday night. God, I pray that we would not take a night to read your word for granted. God, I pray that our hearts would be right and that we would take all the sin and the weight off of us so that we can clearly hear from you and we can clearly feel your love for us. So Lord, I pray that you would speak through me Lord, I pray that you would help me to read your word and that it would be fluid. God, it would just flow into the ears that want to hear, into the hearts that want it. And God, I just pray that, that, that you would be glorified. God, if nothing else happens tonight, I pray that you would be glorified, that you would be lifted up, and God, that you would be looked at is number one, and that we can leave this place knowing that we put you above everything else. We put you above what we're going to eat afterwards. We put you above our day. We put you above our struggles. We know that you're number one. We know that you're going to stay there. And God, that's how we want to leave this place, is you being glorified. And it's in your name I ask these things. Amen. So we're in a series called, uh, called Taboo, and uh, last week we talked about, we talked about sex, and, um, and I felt like when I left last week, I, I felt weird because I, I felt like I left a lot of things out because, um, truthfully, I, I preached that message before. I've actually preached that same passage of Scripture. It was actually the first time I had ever preached, I preached out of that passage and uh, it was at my old church, and, um, and it was like I could feel God with me because, I don't know, I, I remember sitting there thinking and, and just reading through the Scripture and just trying to figure out how, like, people preach. Like, I don't know how you do that, and no one really ever taught me. I just kind of, you know, it was just, uh, they just said, hey, would you like to speak? And they put me on the schedule, and they were like, this is your topic, and um, so I just thought to myself, I'm going to go read it, and I remember being in the room and being freaked out because um, y'all don't know this now, but before, public speaking was my biggest fear. Uh, I mean, I would shake if I got on stage. I mean, like, it was, it was really bad. I would just, I would freak myself out, but I was sitting in that room, 
uh, on a couch, and I just remember praying and just trying to be alone with God because I didn't want to think about anybody else in the room. Nobody in the room mattered, only that I loved them and that they needed the gospel. But other than that, they did not matter. The truth was going to remain whether there was 300 people in the audience or two. The truth was going to be the same. So I was sitting there, and I just felt this peace. And I just felt this, this comfort. And I just knew that God was with me. And so when I went up there to preach, it was like the words were just, I mean, they were just coming out. And I couldn't even, and I'm not, I mean, I could control it, but it was like, I was just like, you know, like you, you see people like playing basketball. You just know they got, you know, they're, they're dropping 40. You know, they're just, they seem like they can't miss. I mean, not that I, you see what I'm saying. It was just like I was just talking, and I just felt God with me, and that was the only thing I needed at that moment. Well, see, last week, you see, there's a thing that preachers kind of do or they want to do is if they, they feel like they did good last time and they're having to do the same thing again, they want to do good this time. You know, they want to like replicate the experience because, you know, you want, I mean, you just kind of want that and you, just, it's, you start to think it's more like a performance, you know? And so I left last week feeling extremely weird, but I wanted to say thank you for, to the people who texted me and were really encouraging and was saying, you know, you said the right words and all these things, all the things that you said and I just, I wanted to say thank you because I didn't know. At that point, I was just, there's just times where you just really don't, you don't feel your calling. You don't feel that you're doing the right thing. You don't feel like, you know, you're, you're making the right steps forward. You feel like you're in the same place and you're just stagnant and, and things aren't really going smooth and things aren't going right. You're tired. You're anxious. You got all these things going on and then all of a sudden I'm preaching and I, the, the whole time last week, my throat was dry. I could not talk. My thoughts were in a million different places, yet my family still loves me. And y'all made sure to encourage me, and I want to tell you I appreciate that because I have no seminary edu- education or anything like that. I know our pastor doesn't either, but he's on a whole other level than me. So I want to tell y'all thank you from the bottom of my heart. I really do thank you. But uh, this week we're going to be talking about drugs and alcohol. And um, and this is a really this is a really weird thing to talk about because um, just a little tidbit about myself I've never struggled with either one of the two things and so a lot of times I you know there's hypocrites that that do something and then say they don't but then there's hypocrites who don't do something and pretend like they do know about that one particular thing. And I kind of feel um, inadequate to talk about the subject, but like I said a minute ago, the truth remains. God's truth is, is where I get the truth from in God's Word. And so I've never struggled with alcohol, and I've never struggled with any drug. I've never, I've never done a drug. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never put dip in my mouth. I've only sipped alcohol just to see how it tasted when I was about 12 years old, and it tasted like urine. I mean, I was like, wow, this is disgusting. How does anybody drink this for fun, you know? But, um, 
anyways, that's just a little bit about me. I'm not better than anybody who has. And I honestly think sometimes I wish I would have just to get and be able to understand better how people go through it and, and what their thought process is. But nonetheless, I'm glad that God saved me and rescued me from that so that I didn't have to experience the turmoil or the pain that comes along with that. And so tonight, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be in Romans chapter 13, and we're going to be starting in verse 11. It says, wait, Brad, I don't think I ever told you the scripture to, my bad, bro. My bad. That's, that's my B. All right, so if you got, if you got your Bible, um, Romans chapter 13, we're going to be starting in verse 11. And it says this. It says, this is all the more urgent, for you know how late it is. Time is running out. So when it says this is all the more urgent, it's talking about what it's talking about before. There's a little passage or a little paragraph right before it, and what it's saying is it's all the more urgent to love your neighbor. There's a, the whole paragraph right before it is it's kind of summing up what it means to love your neighbor as yourself, and it goes on to say this is all the more urgent now because you know how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for your salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. And so what it's saying is, is right now it's all the more urgent to love your neighbor as yourself. And we've talked about this a lot. We are, the, the commandments can be summed up as love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. We've talked about this before, too, about loving your neighbor, loving you know, your family member, or loving someone outside of these church walls is the most important thing about you. There's, there's, there's one thing that the world can look at us and see, are these Christians or are they not? And it's how we love each other. This is not a love that you just, you know, a brother-sister love or like a mom-child love. This is, this is something different. This is supernatural. This is a love that passes social barriers, ethnicity, money, all these different kind of things. This kind of love transcends all those different things. This kind of love bonds people together that aren't from the same place, that don't have the same blood. This kind of love is something different. And this kind of love is something the world does not recognize. That's why when they see it, they're saying, that's something different. That's, there's something different about these people because they love each other so much more. There's a different kind of love they have for each other. They're willing to sacrifice for one another. They're willing to let someone live with them just so they can have a roof over their heads. They're willing to feed each other when they're hungry. They're willing to sell something so that this person doesn't have to go without they're willing to do anything and everything they can so that their brother or sister can be provided for. And it doesn't matter where you live. You don't have to be in this church wall to be my brother. You can be on the other side of the world, and I can recognize you, just the Holy Spirit. It's just something about you when you're a Christian, and you click, and you know that this person follows the same Lord that you do. And you're just like, man, that's my brother. I got to do something for him. I got to serve him. I got to love him. I got to encourage him. He's going through a hard time. He lives in Africa. He's a missionary in Haiti. I got to do something for him. 
I got to love him. I got to encourage him because he might be going through a dark time that I don't know about. I got to listen to him. I got to feed him. Even if he's not starving, I just want to, I just want to offer a meal to him. There's a love that we have for one another and that transcends, that goes outside these walls and goes to the rest of the world that's different. And right now it's all the more urgent. Why? Because salvation is coming. The Bible talks about, and Jesus said, that he was going to come back. You see, what he did was he came to this earth, lived for 30 years and started this ministry. And for three years, he got people to follow him and he preached and he healed and he did all kinds of things just to show people, I am the son of God. I am the one who has come to save everyone. I am the Messiah. And he healed people's wounds on the inside. Not only that, wounds on the outside that that people could see just so they could see this is that guy. This is the guy that we've been waiting on. And what he did was, is about three years later, he had to go to the cross. He had to be beaten for the sins that all of us have committed. He did that so that we could see his love for us and see that he took the punishment for what we were owed. The sins that we committed, the punishment we were owed for those, he took that on the cross. And it was very evident just by how bad he was beaten. And just how just excruciating the pain was and how he was hung up on that cross and left to die. He suffocated on that cross. That's how much he loved us. And when he died, about three days later, he came back. He was alive. Because sin is equal to death. And he overcame death. He overcame sin by coming back and saying, the only thing that we are scared of legitimately is to not be here on earth. There's an unknown about death. You can't explain it. Even if you know where you're going after this life, death is always something hard to grasp. When you see life in a body, you don't really know how to comprehend what that body is like without life. Especially if it's a loved one. And you see that loved one and, and you see life and you, you don't know that person without them being able to move, without their heart beating, without their eyes moving, without their mouth moving to talk. You don't know that person without that. And then you see a life, I mean, a body with no life, it's a scary thing because you don't get to see where they're going. You might know where they're going. You might have a guess. There's one of two places, but you don't get to see it. You don't get to witness it. And it's an unknown. It's scary. And he overcame that. He overcame death and said, it doesn't have dominion over me. It can't take me hostage. Sin cannot control me. Sin cannot enslave me. And what I want you to do is put your faith in me so that sin doesn't have control over you. So that no, no more will death have control over you. When you die, you will live forever. Jesus did that so that we could have life, so that we would have security about when we die, and so that we would no longer be enslaved to our sin. This, this life doesn't have to be miserable. We do not have to live this life under sin's control and under sin's miserableness. He saved us from that. And as he was going back up into heaven, he said something. He said, I will come back to you. And the people then, 
you got to think about it. I, I've always been kind of confused about this, but the people then, they're thinking, wow, I cannot wait till he gets back. I, I, I'm just so excited about when, when is he going to come back? Is it, is it a week from now? Is it a year from now? When, when is it going to be? Because I really want him to come back. I don't want him to leave. I don't, I don't want him to leave. I want to see him come back. I want salvation to happen. But he said that not even he knows. Jesus said, not even I know when I'm coming back. Only the Father knows. But when this passage was written, it's even closer now to the day of salvation, which is the day that Jesus comes back, and there will be no more death. There will be no more sin. We will be, the Christians will go to heaven. The Christians, I don't know how it all happens, and don't ask me, but all I'm saying is, is when he comes back, we're done. It's time. There is no other way. There is no other chance. It's, it's done. So it's all the more urgent for that love that we're supposed to have for one another. It's all the more urgent, even now than it was when that thing was written. It's all the more urgent that we love one another. Stop thinking about yourself so much. Stop just, stop thinking about, well, what's best for me? Well, how can I do this? And how can I, I, I? We think about self so much. We actually think about self when we think we're being selfless. It's amazing how we try to put ourselves and weave ourselves and weave our benefits into every single situation. We're going to feed the homeless. Somehow, we're going to put, put ourselves in that situation that it could benefit us in some way. Don't think about yourself so much. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Don't be so prideful. Don't think you're more important than you actually are. And here, let me tell you the good news about this. The fact that God gives you a family, that when you're feeling low, they will encourage you. You don't have to puff yourself up with pride, build your walls up, and, and think to yourself, I've got I've to make it on my own because nobody else is going to do it for me. I, I've got to go out here and, and, you know, I don't care who I have to stumble over. I'm going to get my way. I'm going I'm I'm to find some way to make it good for me. Well, the good news about that is, is you don't have to do that because you're going to be miserable. Kenny posted the, put a little thing up here on the screen. It's like, if you want to be miserable, the very bottom thing says, be selfish. If you want to be miserable, the number one thing you have to be is selfish. That's it. It's so easy to be miserable. And since that day is coming, it says, so remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Since that day is coming, and, and since it is all the more urgent for us to love one another, all the bad stuff that you do, that you know you do, that you do on a regular basis, the things that God has convicted your heart over, yet you have not changed them, remove those things like you would dirty clothes. Take them off. Why do you want dirty clothes on? Why would you want to wear dirty clothes? 
They stink. They feel weird. You don't like the way dirty clothes feel. It's like sticky. Dirty clothes, it's not good. We think about it. We don't want dirt on our clothes. And we don't want sin in our lives. And the thing about this is not, this is not stuff that you're not aware of, okay? These sins that, that you're doing and the sins that it's talking about, these dark deeds and stuff, these are things that you know about. These are things that you know in your heart is not right. And these are things in your heart you know are slowing you down, holding you back. The Bible says to, to remove all the weight, remove all the sin that so easily entangles you so that you can run this race. These dark deeds are holding you back. They're holding you back from loving somebody else. Because you know what living in sin is? That's selfishness. That's living for your own self-pleasure. That's saying that I don't trust God's plan, so I'm going to do my own. So you know what? This is what's crazy about it. You're not doing your own thing. You're doing the world's thing. You're doing, some, you're, you're doing an idea that somebody else has already thought of. You don't go out into this world and think, hmm, how can I just, you know, do something bad so it makes me feel good? Somebody else has already thought of it. Somebody else has already thought about gossip. Somebody else has already thought about alcohol. Somebody else already thought about weed and cocaine and all these other drugs and alcohol, all these different things. They parties, sex, sexual morality, all these things. They have already been thought of. You're not doing your own thing. You're doing the world's thing. So don't try to deceive yourself into thinking that you're living for yourself and you're living on your own and, and this is your life. No, you're actually living somebody else's. You can either live for the God, live for God, or live for the world. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the armor, the shiny armor of righteousness. There's a lot of things that we do that are bad. And those bad things hold us back a lot of times. And a lot of times those bad things can also hang on to us and make us feel guilty and bring that shame. And so that when we think about doing something good, all we can remember is all the bad. Know that you're forgiven. Remember the cross when you think about how bad you were. Remember how badly Jesus was beaten when you think about how bad you were. Because Jesus was beaten that bad, Jesus was nailed to the cross so that he could save you from those things, so that those things would not hold you back, so that those things could not enslave you. Remember his love for you. And it says, don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual immorality or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. First thing I want to point out, it says, don't participate in. That doesn't mean that you avoid everybody who does those things. Because if you had to avoid everybody who does bad things, you'd have to leave earth. 
You know what I'm saying? Like, you couldn't be here. There, you can't avoid people that do sin. And you can't avoid sin. It's here. It's going to stay until the day of salvation. Sin is something that will be in your life every single day, nagging you at your heel, buzzing around you like a little gnat. Sin is going to be here day in and day out, and people are going to struggle with it day in and day out. There is no getting rid of it. So it doesn't mean to avoid sin, trying to think that you can just stay locked up in your room and and never have anything to do with sin ever again. It's just going to leave you alone. No, sin travels with you, no matter where you are. And no matter where you are, you're going to be around people who are sinful. But it says, do not participate in wild parties and drunkenness and sexual promiscuity and immoral living and quarreling and jealousy. It says, don't participate in those things. When you have a friend, you have a Christian, and you have someone who does all these other things, okay? Those two people can be friends. The Christian can love this person with all their heart. This Christian can love this person like God told them to love your neighbor. That Christian can do that. But he does not have to go to the party with this guy. He does not have to go get drunk with this guy so that he can relate to him. He does not have to go smoke weed with this guy so that he can relate to him. He does not have to go and, you know, have sex and do all these other kind of things that everybody else is doing just so that they, he can be around them. What it's trying to say is, is that you have an inward change, okay? When you believed in Christ, he's talking to Christians, that's what I'm saying. He, when you believed in Christ, your heart was changed. So what it's saying is that you're expressing outwardly what happened inwardly. By living righteously, by living decent lives so that everyone can see. You're doing it so that they can see an inward change. Your heart is clean. Live a clean life. Let it come out of you. Don't have a clean heart and then go to a wild party and get drunk and and live in sexual promiscuity and immoral, all these different things. Don't have a clean heart and go do those things. What's the point? Now the people can't see it. You have a a heart full of peace that passes all understanding. Live a life of peace. Let people see that in you. It says that the day is coming. So put away the dark deeds. See, what happens is when your heart is cleansed and when your heart is changed, yet you continue to live in these dark deeds, you are not a light. You're not claiming to be belonging to the day when you do that. The whole point of it is, is when your heart is changed, it should be an outward expression. There should be something about your life that's different. And when I say something, I mean everything. Everything about your life is different. Now, to talk about drugs and alcohol specifically. Starting with alcohol. I know there's, there's, a, there's a big talk about, you know, people who, who like to drink beer and, and stuff like that. And, 
They say that you can, that you can drink and, and not get drunk and it's not a sin. Yes, that's true. But, you know, they talk about, they talk about drinking and how it's just a social thing and all those other kind of things. But specifically for teens, number one, it's illegal. And in Romans chapter 12, or actually in the beginning of this chapter, chapter 13, it talks about following authority. It says that God put those people in authority over you for a reason. And that you should pay taxes to these people so they can have jobs. And it's talking about how you should obey these people because God put them in authority over you to, to keep us safe. Like police officers and people who make the laws, they do those things to keep us safe. And when we're not supposed to drink until we're 21, we're not supposed to drink until we're 21. I think that the statistics of it is about 80% of people who are 18 and graduating, 80% of the people of that age have consumed alcohol at some point. That's a pretty big number. That's 8 out of every 10 people that you meet in high school. That's a very big number. That, that's a lot of peer pressure. I, just, I remember being in, in my locker room, uh, in the basketball locker room, and every single person, if I just thought, do they do this or do they do this? When it comes to alcohol, every single one of them. New Year's Eve, I remember going to practice the next morning, and I was dead tired as it was because, you know, you stay up till midnight to see the ball drop, yada, 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 shoot fireworks, have fun. You don't want to worry about nothing. But apparently, for some reason, I don't know why my coach did this, but we had practice at like 8 in the morning. I, I mean, I know, I know you guys and, you know, you men in here, you men, you know, I know y'all thinking 8 in the morning, that's nothing. I'm up at like 3.30 drinking my coffee. Look, man, okay, I was, I was 16, that's 17, okay? Look, I was, I was not trying to wake up at 7 in the morning to go play basketball, okay? I wanted to sleep in a little bit. But anyways, when I got there, like half my teammates were like throwing up in the garbage can. And I just started to think because at that point in my life, I'm just like, man, all this peer pressure, all this stuff going on, all these people asking me to go to these, these parties and, and, you know, all these different, different kind of things. And I'm just like, man, do I want a part of that? And I woke up that morning saying, no, I do not want to be puking my guts up playing basketball, okay? I know that's just a really small example, but what I'm trying to say is, and I don't really want to go too far into detail, but what I'm trying to say is, is when people are struggling, if you've ever met a person who is struggling in this life, and they are depressed, and they are struggling with anxiety, and they are struggling with where to go, and and what their purpose is, and what their meaning is, I have not once heard, man, I just, I was really struggling, and man, my life just got turned upside down. I went to alcohol. Everything went better. And, you know, I found my purpose. And, um, you know, don't struggle with depression anymore. The thing about alcohol is it is a depressant. I mean, I don't know if y'all know that or not. It's a, it's a drug. Alcohol is a drug. And we can argue all day why it's legal and why weed's not. You know, we can argue all day about that. All I'm saying is it's bad for you. I, I don't know. And, and if you... And my, I don't know, it's, it's your motivation behind it, I guess, but my, my question is, is why would you drink a beer and, and think, you know, I just, I just like drinking beer, and, you know, I, I just, you know, it's just one of those things I like to do. But my, my question is, 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 is why? Like, if, if, you, if it's just a beer and, and you can drink something else instead, what, 
what is it? What is it about it? Is there something like deep inside of you that just kind of wants just to, you know, here, here's a thousand foot cliff and, and I'm way back here and, you know, just a sip of alcohol is a little bit right here and getting drunk's like coming over the edge, but I'd rather just kind of stay close to the edge as I can without going off. Like, I don't know what's going on in there. And I'm not saying it's a sin. That's up to you. You can do whatever you want to do. All I'm saying is, is alcohol's never helped anybody. I don't, I don't know if a single person it's helped in my life. I've, I've, I've been around a lot of people who drink alcohol, and I've only seen devastation. Now, there are some people who don't just reach, you know, you know, going to AA meetings and all this other kind of stuff where they're just desperate for help to get away from alcohol. I don't know a lot of people like that, but all I'm saying, the people who just normally drink, you know, and I'm around them, it doesn't quite help them. And as far as drugs go, I'm only going to talk about weed because I don't know of a whole lot of teenagers struggling with methamphetamine, okay? I mean, it's just, we all know that when you, when you do meth, and you do, you know, you pop mollies and all this other kind of stuff. We all know that those things, those are obviously bad. You know, you're on, we've seen pictures all the way up through school. We've seen you lose teeth, you, your skin goes all weird, you die, you overdose, all those other kind of things. But there seems to be some, like, big argument, big, you know, debate about whether weed is helpful or weed is not. And, you know, whether weed is bad or, you know, better than cigarettes or better than alcohol. Same thing goes. People can get addicted to weed just like they can anything else. Now, it might be a different kind of addiction as far as what I read. There might be a psychological addiction more than there is a physical addiction, but I know there are withdrawals from it. But the same thing applies is that I don't know of anybody that I've ever met that's gone to weed and it's brought them out of their place. In fact, the people that I've met that, that do struggle with smoking weed and, and you know, smoking with your friends, it, it, first it's kind of like a community thing. Like, oh, hey, go, you know, go smoke pot with my boys and, and we're going to go to a house and we, you know, we're just going to let the world just fade away for a little while and we're going to relax. You know, starts out as a community thing and all of a sudden you get you know, the further and further into it, and you realize that when you let the world fade for a little while, it comes back in, and you're back to reality. There is no peace. It's a high that you forget about your problems, but when you come back to it, just like alcohol, it may be even worse because now you've got a problem on your hands that you're dependent on something to make you feel that way, and it's killing you because you want to come back to that. You want to lose your high, and you want to lose, you know, come back from being drunk, and you want that to be gone. You want the pain to be gone, but the reality is it comes back. And if it's a community thing, a struggle for acceptance thing, when you go and drink, an al- drink alcohol and smoke weed with your friends and all this kind of stuff, I guarantee you they're struggling with the same thing you are, and everybody in there is in the same boat, and you're trying to fit in with each other, and y'all all go home. When you leave the weed, you leave the alcohol, you all go home struggling and wondering why you don't feel any different. You just feel like you've gone deeper into a hole, and you can't get yourself out. Drugs and alcohol are not good ideas. Instead of doing that, and here's the thing. There's only two places in the world where you can experience total darkness. One is in the very bottom of the ocean, the deepest part. You can't live there. So number two is a cave. I remember... 
I went caving one time with the College of Career, and, and Kenny took, took us, and I had never been caving, but I, I just, I, when, I, when it was like the opportunity came, I just thought, man, expiration, like I'm so excited, like I can't wait to go into a cave, woo, you know, I was like a little kid, and I was just like, you know, I wanted my own headlamp, and I just, I, I kind of wanted it to be like they were going to pretend like we didn't know where we were going, you know, so that I didn't feel like I had a guide and 15 other people behind me, but, you know, here's the other thing about it, I forgot to wear deodorant that day, and I don't know if you've ever been in a cave, but it's kind of closed in, and so like I'm in the very front of the line, crop dusting everybody behind me, I'm just like, you know, climbing up things, and it's like, whew, you know, and there's people behind me going, golly, what is that smell? I'm like, I don't know, you know. I just walk around like this, like, whoo. I'm serious. I'm not kidding, guys. I didn't realize I forgot to put deodorant on, but when I got in there, I sure didn't know, you know what I'm saying? It was bad. It was real, real bad. But anyways, we got somewhere. I don't know why I told y'all that. That's really embarrassing, but first, Kylie mentioned it to me first. She said, Keith, did you put deodorant on? I'm just like, uh, and it, was, it was horrible. I, I should have been in the back of the line so that no one could smell it, but all 15 people, including the guy that was immediately in front of me, could smell it. And I don't know, I, you know, it's like, eh, who farted kind of thing, you know, like, what's that smell? And I, but everybody knew it was me because it was just that bad. But anyways, I put deodorant on after. I, I found somebody who had some. But we got to this point in the cave where it was like a big, like, it was like a room like this size. It was huge, but there was like, you know, stalactites and stalagmites hanging everywhere, and there's like water dripping, and it just is so cool. And then he was like, you know, he explained how the only two places you can experience total darkness is, is in the bottom of the ocean. And everyone was like, where else? Oh, a cave, you know. So we're in a cave, and it was like, okay, in about five seconds, we're going to turn our lights off. And, you know, so we did. We turned our lights off. And I, was, I thought that it was going to be dark, but I didn't know that it was going to be that dark. We turned our lights out, and you couldn't see, like, a glimmer of light. Your eyes almost didn't know what to do. It was so dark. It was just like, it was something like, it was so, so dark. I tried to put my, my hand, like, right here in front of my face, like, touching my eyelashes just a little bit, and I was just like, this is amazingly dark. And the thing about being in a dark cave is that if you're in there for any more than an hour or two, you can't just come back to the light or you'll be, your, your retinas will burn. Kind of like we, we learned about the solar eclipse. You don't just look right at it. And it, When you're in there for you know, hours or days without light, you have to slowly come back to it to the point where you're wearing almost solar eclipse glasses when you come out of there so that you're not, so that you're not just bombarded with light. And there's a lot of stories, I read up on some stories, a lot of stories about cavers who go in and they run out of light. They, their batteries start to go dead, and, and before you know it, they're, they're in a room by themselves. They've gone off to explore, they left the group, and they're, they're in, this, in this, this cave room by themselves, and they lost their light. Their light won't turn on. And they say within minutes, your psychology begins to change. They say within minutes you start, to, you start to freak out and wonder how you're going to get out of here. And, and, and within minutes you don't know whether you're turning a 180 or whether you're just turning slightly to the left or slightly to the right. And seconds turn into minutes and minutes turn into what feels like eternity. And within five minutes you feel like you've been in there for hours and you, you begin to freak out. Your, your blood pressure goes up and you don't know what to do. And you start to freak out and you're like, how do I get out of here? 
And so you, what your last resort is, I'm just going to feel my way out and I'm going to try to remember. But I'm telling you, it's so dark that you can't even form a mental picture anymore. You can't even get a good idea of what things look like. And, and, and so you're, you're feeling around it, and before you know it, you freak out so much, you end up bumping your head, and you're in there for weeks, and you die. You die because you had no light. But just imagine you're in that cave. And your light goes out. And, and seconds feel like eternity. And you're wondering what you're going to do. And off in the distance, you see just a small light. What is that light? That's hope. That's hope. And in that moment, you don't, you don't think about the darkness anymore. Everything else is to the side. Every moment, every thought that you had before then is gone pushed to the back of your head because you know what you're focused on? You're focused on getting out of that place. You're focused on that light, and everything else seems to fade in the background, and you're going to do everything you can. You're going to make step by step by step going toward that light because that light, that light symbolizes hope, and you want out. You see, that cave is sin. And what it does is it leads you into that cave. At first, it gives you a headlamp. At first, it gives you a flashlight so that when you're going into that cave, it's promising something. It's saying, hey, it's going to be fun for a little while. It gives you that light. It makes you feel like you're going to adventure. You're having fun. You're having the time of your life. You're going to parties. You're getting drunk. You're smoking weed. You have a community now. Now you have friends. And before you know it, your light starts flickering. And before you know it, you've gone so deep in the cave and your light's starting to flicker. And you don't really know what to do. But it's too far to go to turn around. You can't turn around now. So I might as well just keep going and see if there's a way out on the other side. And before you know it, your light is completely out. And there is no hope. No, everybody else left. Everybody else who got drunk with you left. Everybody else who smoked, smoked weed with you and got high with you and sat there with you and talked with you, they left because they're in their own cave. They're in their own darkness. And you have no hope. You see, sin promises you a lot of fun, but in the end, it's empty. It's as empty as darkness. And it leads you to this deep, dark place of depression and anxiety and no hope. And you're wondering, what's your purpose of living? You say, if I can't get out of here, if I can't get out of this cave, what's the point in living right now? Just sit here and die? Just to sit here and starve? Just to sit here and wonder what life would be like outside of this cave? Sin brings you to that place and leaves you there to die and gives you no hope. Sin, drunkenness, Getting high off a weed, it doesn't give you any hope. It gives you no purpose to live. It's empty. But then you see a light, just a small glimpse of a light. And that's hope. That's Jesus Christ coming to your rescue. That's Jesus Christ saying, Although you're so deep in this cave, although you've gone so deep into this sin, I still love you. I still love you, and I died for you, and I want to be your hope. 
I want to be your saving grace. I want you to follow me so that you can get out of this cave so that when you come out, you can live in the day so that you can be free from your sins. You don't have to go back in that deep, dark place of bondage and enslaving. You don't have to go back to that. Now you live in the day. Now you don't have to do those things that promise a whole lot but never give you anything. Now you have full satisfaction. Now you have the peace. Now you have everything that you wanted when you went to the sin in the first place. Now you have it. Now you have the love. Now you have the peace. Now you have the comfort. Now you have the strength to face the day. And most of all, you have purpose in this life. You don't have to wonder what your purpose is anymore because he gave it to you. He says, you're going to live for me. He says, I have a plan for you. You just follow me and I'll make sure everything happens. Where are you at tonight? Do you feel like you're in that cave? Are you struggling to find your way? Is it hard to see where you're going? Is your light starting to flicker? Are you starting to slow down, wondering how you got so far? Jesus is shining his light to you. He's calling you home. He's calling you into the day so that everything in your heart can be healed, so that everything in your heart can be fulfilled, so that your heart will be full of love and of peace and comfort and strength and everything that Christ offers by dying on the cross for you. Do you need that light tonight? Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for rescuing me. God, there's so many times, God, that, that I venture off back into that cave and I begin to I begin to search and, and feel around for my, for my way through this life. I get into things that I know I shouldn't. But Father, thank you for bringing me into the light and keeping me there. Thank you, Father, for rescuing me. God, when I was in that cave and I was wondering why my life mattered, God, you were that light. I could just barely see it, Lord, but I went after it, and God, it was worth it. And God, you gave me the strength to carry on. God, you gave me the strength to to search through that cave. God, you gave me the strength to just continue to pursue after the light. And God, you saved my soul. You gave my life purpose. And God, now you've called me to love others. God, that is my purpose. God, you've called me to put on righteous deeds and take off the darkness so that other other people can see that light. God, I want to be a light to somebody. God, I want to walk by somebody who's in a cave and God, just be that light so I can lead them out. Father, I pray for the person who's in that cave. God, who's in that deep, dark place. Father, I pray they would just see your light and begin to go toward it. Father, thank you for your love and for your forgiveness and for dying for us, Lord. Thank you for loving us that much that we would pursue ourselves, but you showed your light anyway. 
Father, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.